chapter 3, and next week we'll finish the book of Titus, and then following, the following week is uh, the fifth Sunday, it's family weekend, and if there's anyone that needs to be water baptized, it's on the fifth Sunday weekends that we, we do our baptism, so we'll baptize if there are any, any, anyone who needs to be baptized next, uh, or two weeks, so if you if you need to be baptized, you want to get baptized, um, please get the connection card in your chair back there and fill it out and uh, drop that in the basket on the table back there and we'll know that you are uh, wanting to be baptized. Amen? Uh, put your name, put your contact information and we'll plan on that. All right, Titus chapter 3. Uh, let me read the first, the first uh, several verses. Just uh, read with me here. Titus 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness And the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to all men. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask today that by your spirit you would open our hearts and our minds, reveal your truth to us according to your scripture. Lord, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be men and women that would maintain, that would show forth the good works that are the fruit of our faith, that men would know, that the world would know we are your disciples, that the Father would be glorified through the church. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, the name above all names, everybody said, Amen. All right, so we come to chapter 3. Uh, here in the book of Titus, from Paul's command, if you look at the last verse of chapter 2, Paul says, Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. And when he says, speak these things, he's talking about all of the things that he has written to Titus in this letter from the beginning. All the things that we've gone through verse by verse as we've studied through this book. And so he's reminding Titus in this letter, that these are the things that he is to speak, that he is to exhort and even rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise or disregard you. He says, Titus, don't let anyone disregard you. Don't be fearful. Don't shrink back. But speak these things with all authority. And then he goes on. There's a continuation of the thought here. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So he goes on, and so we come into chapter 3 from this command at the end of chapter 2. Remember in the original letter, Paul didn't write letters, he didn't write verses and chapter numbers. It was just a letter. It was one letter, just like someone wrote you a letter, and they sent it to you, and you're reading that letter. And we've put these numbers and chapters and verses in here to help us And so here is the continuation of the thought. Paul is commanding him to speak these things, to remind them of these things. And so we're going to look at these areas that Paul is commanding Titus to remind the believers. He says, remind them what we are to be. Titus, remind them what we are to be. Then he says, remind them of what we once were. So he says, I want you to remind them of what they are to be. I want you to remind them what they once were. 
And I want you to remind them that these are the things that we are to do. This is how we're to live our lives. He says, remind them how we're changed. So he says, this is what you're to be. This is what you once wore. This is how you were changed. This is what your life is to demonstrate to the believers in the world around you. So we're going to look at these these different elements in this first half of Titus chapter 3. And we see here in the first three verses, Paul is reminding them of what they are to be. So he says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authority. Remind them to be obedient or remind them to obey. How do we properly understand this command to be obedient to rulers and authorities, to obey? Well, we understand this properly that we, we come under the rule and the authorities that are in existence. Reminds us of Romans 13.1. Let, let me read that to you. There's a proper way to understand this. There's an improper way, I believe, to understand this. Romans 13.1, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Paul goes on and he expounds there. We could do a whole teaching on Romans 13 of what those governments are put in place to do. And, And they maintain order, they maintain structure, They wield the sword. Paul says they don't wield the sword in vain. God's given them a sword, an authority to exercise judgment when necessary. But what's the proper way to understand this command to be subject to rulers and authorities? We see through church history, we see even in the book of Acts, let's just take the apostles in the very beginning of the church. When they were hauled before the ruling authorities there in Jerusalem, what did those ruling authorities tell them to stop doing? Stop preaching Jesus. Well, if we take this command in a wooden sense, be subject to the ruling authorities, they would have had to stop preaching Jesus. So the correct way to understand this is what? Is that we're under the authority of God's rule first and foremost. And we are subject to the rule and authority around us, but never when that rule or that authority comes to be in opposition of God's rule. So when the government comes through those doors and says, Pastor Jeff, Christ Fellowship Church, you must stop preaching Jesus. We've made a law. Well, the Bible says to be subject to the ruling authorities. But when that rule and that authority supersedes what God has commanded us to do, who do we obey, God or man? The Bible says we obey God. Apostle said, hey, what is it? You tell us, is it better to obey God or better to obey man? Well, the answer is it's better to obey God. In other words, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. You want to keep beating us? Keep beating us, but we're going to keep preaching Jesus. So be subject to the rulers and authorities. Obey. But we understand this, that that subject or that submission and that obedience is under the authority of God's rule never in opposition to it. Matthew twenty two twenty one. Jesus says, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. So he says, remind them to be subject to the rule, to the authority, remind them to obey, remind them to be ready for every good work. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, be instant or be ready in season and out of season. We need to be ready for every good work. Remind them to speak evil of no one. And we need to understand that is not defined by the hearer. That is defined by the scripture. So for some people today, the truth may sound evil to those who do not wish to hear the truth. Amen? Evil is defined not by us, but by God and by the Scripture. So in Ephesians 4.15, when Paul says, speaking the truth 
in love. How many of you know the truth is not always what people want to hear? When Jesus walked the earth, he spoke the truth. And the men that heard that truth, many of them despised the truth so much, you know what they ended up doing? They ended up crucifying him because they hated the truth that much. That truth sounded evil to them, but it was not evil, it was truth. And so speak evil of no one. But we should never use the truth as a license for evil. Amen? But we should never compromise the truth because men don't want to hear it. So remind them to be peaceable, to be gentle, to be showing all humility to all men. So peaceable, gentle, and humble. The above command to be peaceable, to be gentle, to be humble does not conflict with or contradict Paul's command to speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. When Titus, as a pastor, comes and he rebukes with all authority, it may not seem like he's being gentle. Jesus, when he went into the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables and he took that whip of cords and drove them out, Jesus, was he being gentle? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of relative. He would have been justified in... I mean, what did, what did those sinners and what do all of us sinners deserve? We deserve much more than having our tables overturned and our, you know, uh, driven out of the, the place that we, we're hanging out. So... We understand this. So, for instance, take Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, Paul's command here, Timothy, speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. So when Timothy, or when Titus goes and he brings correction to the body of Christ, there's a right way to do that. Paul says when you see your brother or your sister in sin, there's a right way to go to them. We don't go to them with judgment and condemnation. We go to them gently. We go to them humbly. We go to them peaceably. To do what? To restore them. By the time Jesus went into the temple and overturned it, that was not the first time those people had heard the truth. They had a long succession of prophets and men of God who had come to them. They had the writings of Moses. They had the writings and the testimony of the Scripture And what did Jesus do? He quoted the word and he said, My father's house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And so when we come to someone, we need to be peaceable, gentle, with humility, but we should never shrink back from the truth. Say, well, gosh, Pastor Jeff, what if what I tell them is going to hurt their feelings? Better to hurt their feelings than to let them live with the illusion that, that, that what's okay, what they're doing is okay. That's kind of like, you know, well, my kid really wants to play in the middle of the street, but I don't want to tell him no because I don't want to hurt my feelings. Well, would you rather them get run over by the car? No, you'd rather hurt their feelings than save their life. So there's a right way that we discern how we do these things. We don't rebuke an unbeliever the same way we would a professing believer. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll see Paul is addressing someone in the church who professes to be a believer who is living in open, rebellious sin. And not only are they unrepentant about it, they just, they're even bragging about it. Paul says, you guys, the church, you are at fault because you won't go to them in the truth, and help them see the error of their way. And if they refuse to repent, 
he says, then you have no choice but to turn them out and not have any fellowship with them. And Paul clarifies, he says, I'm not talking about people in the world. He said, we, that's, he said then we would have to leave the world. The world, people in the world are sinners because that's who they are. They're not pretending to be somebody else. But if I profess to be a believer, but yet I'm living in open sin, you guys have an obligation to come to me gently, peaceably, humbly, and say, hey, brother, what you're doing is is wrong. Not to judge me or to condemn me, but to restore me. And so we don't judge believers the same way that we do the world. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it's not our place to judge the world. God will judge the world. But it is our place to look at the church, and if we have someone who professes to be believing, then we have a spiritual obligation to go to them with a right heart in an effort to bring restoration. The problem with much of the church today is we're more interested in condemning and using people's sin against them instead of bringing true restoration to people. And if you go to someone and, and your heart motivation is out of love and genuine care and concern because you have built a relationship with that person, they're going to know that. And, and that's the way we should go to people. And that's why we should be able to speak the truth in love to people. And so the scripture gives us clear guidelines, 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, uh, in how to do that. So Paul says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and the authorities. Remind them to obey. Remind them to be ready for every good work. Remind them to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, to be showing all humility to all men. And then he says this in verse For we ourselves were also once foolish. So he reminds us what we are to be, but he also reminds us what we once were. You know, if you go to someone who is caught in sin or who is caught in a lifestyle, a destructive lifestyle, if if you've ever been caught in anything or if you've ever been in any type of destructive lifestyle or or habit, uh, you're going to go to that person, I believe you should at least, with a lot more compassion than you might otherwise. And so Paul says, you know, it doesn't matter whether we all had the same vices. It doesn't matter whether your vice was alcohol or drugs or sex or greed or whatever it is. The reality is what? We were all ourselves once foolish, once disobedient, we were deceived, we were serving various lusts and pleasures, it doesn't matter what they specifically are, they were all leading us away from God. They all had us blinded and and going down a road to destruction. We were all living in malice and envy. We were once hateful and hating one another. Remind them of what they once were. What, what, what is the tense of the word once, you English majors? What is the tense of once? You once were. Future tense, present tense, or past tense? Once were is past tense. You once. This is what you used to be, but you are not now. He starts out by reminding them what they are to be now, And he's contrasting it with what they once were. So we once were all of these. I don't care how good you think you were. You once were disobedient. You once were foolish. You once were deceived. You once were serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Ephesians 5.8 says, You once were darkness, but now, everybody say now, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So this is exactly what Paul is commanding Titus to remind them here. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul reminds them of what they are to be, 
Paul reminds them of what they once were. So we have this contrast. This is what I was. This is what I am to be. Well, how do I get from where I was to where God wants me to be? I mean, it doesn't really matter if I know what God wants me to be. And if I know what I once was, if I don't know how I'm going to get there. If this is what I was, or maybe this is what I am, and this is what God wants me to be, how am I going to get from there to here? How am I going to get from where I was to where God wants me to be? And Paul says, remind them how we are changed. Remind them how we are transformed. And so Paul says in verse 4, look at verse 4, but, see that but is very important, for you For we ourselves were also once, this is what we once were, but, everybody say but, but, but God. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Remind them how we are changed. How are we changed, church? We're changed when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. We were changed because God sought us, because God revealed himself to us. Psalm 14, let me find it. Psalm 14. Verse 3, they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Let me just begin from verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God, They have all, who is the all? All the children of men. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. This is what Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 3. He's quoting Psalm 14. When Paul pins these words in his letter to the Romans... And he says in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. That pretty well covers it all, doesn't it? If, 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 if I ever thought I was good, when I read... Psalm 14, or I read Romans 3, it sets the record straight pretty quick, doesn't it? There's not any good. This is why Jesus said to the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, and Jesus said, whoa, wait a minute, you just called me good. Do you know that there are, there is only one who is good and that is God? Do you know what you're saying, young man? And he obviously did not know what he was saying. And so Paul says, this is how we are changed. We're changed when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared. But but there's none good. There's none who seek God. Well, here's the good news. This is why the gospel is good news. The good news isn't we were seeking God. The good news is God was seeking us when we didn't want to have anything to do with him. Because there were none Seeking after him. We did not seek God. God seeks us. How are you going to get from where you once were to where God wants you to be? I'm going to tell you how because God is seeking you. 
Not by works of righteousness are you going to be changed, which you have done, which we have done. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, so that no man will ever be able to boast about what he has done. Or Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. I have no righteous work to present to God by which God would say, well, you know, Jeff, that's pretty darn good. I think I'll just go ahead and save you because of your righteous works. No, there is no righteous work that we have to give to God. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. We have no righteousness in ourself. He, Christ, is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The good news is the righteousness you have now is the righteousness that God has given you by His grace because you and I were bankrupt in terms of righteousness and we had absolutely no way of providing any for ourselves, but God. You see, but God. He says, guys, this is who you once were, but God. In His grace, did what? Didn't wait for your works of righteousness because you don't have any. He did the righteous work and He gave to you the righteousness that is required. That is the righteousness of God. You're changed according, not by your works of righteousness, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Ephesians 2.8 says that salvation is the gift of God. A gift is not what you earn, it's what someone gives you. Not because you earned it, but just out of the goodness, out of the mercy of their heart. This is the salvation God has provided for us. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but out of the mercy of His heart. According to His mercy, He saved us. Romans 9.16, So then it is not of Him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God wasn't up in heaven looking, saying, you know, Jeff is almost there. He's just about to the place where I can give him my salvation. No. The salvation I have from God, I have only, only, only according to his mercy. And by His grace. We cannot save ourselves. He alone is our salvation. Remind them that we are changed through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be righteous in ourselves. We cannot wash ourselves. He washed us. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by His Spirit. Remind them that we are changed, having been justified by His grace. Just if I'd never sinned. I can't do that myself. I have no justification within myself. There is nothing any of us can do that would make God look at us and say, you know, you're just as if you'd never sinned. It's impossible. This is, the when it says, he made a way where there seem to be no way. Listen, that's not just your car breaking down, your uh, electric bill needing to be paid, or even the sickness that might be in your body. The thing that, that was impossible for man, yet possible for God, was our salvation, was our justification. There was not anything that we could ever do to be justified in the sight of God. 
So how did we become justified? How were we changed from what we once were to what God declares that we are now? We were justified by His grace. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We cannot justify ourselves. He justifies us by His grace. It is only the grace of God that enables Him to say, there are my children just if they'd never sinned. Because in Christ, He took away our sin. Remind them how we are changed according to the hope of eternal life. According to the hope of eternal life. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about hope and our modern concept of hope. So if I said, man, I hope I get to go and, and uh, I hope I get to go hiking, you know, next summer in the mountains. Well, what does that convey? I'd like to do that. But I don't know whether I'm really going to get to do that. It's what I'm hoping I get to do. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's not hope in that way. The Bible talks about hope and says hope, or, hope speaks of those things which are not seen, but they're not uncertain. See, there's a difference between something being unseen and something being uncertain. When the Bible says that we have hope in Jesus that we have the hope of salvation. Jesus may be unseen to me. My salvation may seem to be unseen to me, but it's not uncertain. The hope and the promise we have in Christ may not be seen right now in this physical, temporal realm, but it is by no means uncertain. When we speak of things we hope to do, they're not only unseen, they're also uncertain. Our modern definition of hope, the way we use that word hope in the modern connotation, carries with it a degree of uncertainty. But when the Bible uses the word hope, when it speaks of the hope of salvation, the hope of God, the hope we have in Christ, the hope that the Scripture reveals to us, though we can't see those things, there is absolutely, positively no degree of uncertainty in the hope that we have in Christ. So how are we changed? We're changed according to the hope of eternal life. That does not speak of uncertainty. That speaks of absolute assurance, though we don't see it right now. Our bodies are really and truly perishing right now. Our outward man day by day is perishing, but our inward man day by day is being renewed. As, long, as much as we all want to live as long as we possibly can and, and keep going like the Energizer Bunny and we We'll live in denial and say, I'm not old and I'm not this and I'm not that. Hey, just stop living in denial. I don't care how good your health is, your body's going to wear down one day. But this body is just a temporary thing. The real man, the real woman we are, is being renewed day by day. One day when this Mortality is put off. This corruption is put off. Listen, I'm telling you what. The incorruption, the immortality, the hope of eternal life is there to spring forth. That's not uncertain. That is, that is certain. You can count on it. This is the hope that we have. How do I know that I will be all of the things the Bible tells me I will be because I have the hope of eternal life. I don't see it all now, but the certainty of it is real. So don't confuse hope with what is uncertain. It is absolutely what is unseen, but it is absolutely not what is uncertain when we're talking about the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that is conveyed to us through the Scripture. We are changed by the hope of His eternal life and His eternal calling in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says in Romans 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In various places, Paul says God gave us His Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment. How can hope not disappoint? If hope, because hope is not uncertain. It may be unseen, but it's not uncertain. Paul says, listen, you may not see it all right now, but you have the hope of it. You have the certainty of it, even though you don't see it, because God has poured out his love in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. He put his spirit in you. If he put his spirit in you, then he's going to do it, honey. He's not, he's not going to renege. He's not going to go back on his word. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to you in this world in this temporal life, in this temporal body. The hope you have is beyond this temporal life and this temporal body. It is eternal in Christ Jesus. And God has given you the, the, the down payment of that. He has given you the, what do you call that when you go to buy a house and you put money down? He's given you the earnest, the earnest money. He's, it's a, he's not going to go back on his word. You have that hope of eternal life because he's put his spirit in you. Romans 8, 29 and 30, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, I hope I make it one day. I hope one day I I get conformed to Jesus. Listen, if you're in Christ, you will be conformed because he predestined you to be conformed and he paid the price for you to be conformed and he made the guarantee sure that you will be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. There's our word, justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see the progression there? That progression doesn't take place because of what we do. That progression takes place because of what Christ has already done. That's the hope we have. You might not see it yet. You say, well, man, I don't look too much like Jesus. I don't act too much like Jesus. I'm struggling. That's okay. You keep pressing on. You keep trusting God. The hope you have is the hope that you have in Christ. It's a sure thing. Now, you keep living your life and you keep living contrary to who Christ is, the life that you profess to have inside of you, and your life keeps being contrary to that, then we know what the Scripture says about that too. The Scripture says you need to examine yourself and see whether you're really in the faith. I mean, if I keep going outside and saying, you know, the darndest thing, my peach tree keeps producing lemons. I just can't figure that out. I mean, I've been waiting 10 years for this peach tree to give me a peach, but it keeps giving me lemons. I just don't understand. I keep fertilizing it. I keep cultivating around it. I keep pruning it. I keep doing everything it tells me to do, but, but it won't give me peaches. It just gives me lemons. You know what? After a while, I should take a step back and ask a question. I wonder if this thing's really a peach tree or not. You know, maybe it's not a peach tree after all. This is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. You guys... The way you're acting, the way you're fussing and fighting, the way you're puffed up and proud and doing all these things, bragging about your sin and, and, and not heeding the Scripture, maybe you guys need to take a step back and see whether you're really in the faith. I hear what's coming out of your mouth, but your life continues to consistently speak something different. This is exactly what Paul wrote to Titus at the end of chapter 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, But in works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. In the end, it doesn't matter what I profess with my mouth if my works are speaking something different. Amen? So we're not changed by what we confess. We're changed by God, and if we're truly changed by God, then then what we confess is going to be consistent with what? with what comes out of my life. Does that mean we never make mistakes? No, we make mistakes all the time. But the question is, do we want to live in our mistakes? Are we proud of our mistakes? Are we content to stay in our mistakes? Or are we trusting in the grace of God and say, God, I'm so thankful for your grace. In spite of my mistakes, in spite of all my failings, God, you love me. You saved me. And I'm depending on you, God. 
to change me and to transform me. And Paul, he writes these words. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying. The this, that word this, is referring to those previous verses. What verses? These verses we just went over. Where he says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out in us, on us, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. This is a faith. You can count on this, church. You can count on what God has done in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. We can have the assurance of what God has done through His Son. And when we, by grace through faith, trust in that, This faithful saying. What is this faithful saying? This is nothing more. This is the gospel. The gospel. This is the faithful saying that we can put our trust in. This is the message that we can put our trust in. This is the word that we can put our trust in. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. I want you to affirm this faithful saying constantly. Why? Because constantly in our minds we're assailed by the enemy, by our flesh, by the world, by doubts. Have have any of you ever doubted your salvation? Man, am I the only one? The enemy comes, he sows seeds of doubt in your mind. And if we're not if we're not constantly affirming the faithful saying, if we're not constantly being affirmed in the gospel. You know what? You can come to a place where you give place to your doubts. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to happen. He he will relentlessly speak the lie, whisper the lie in your ear. And if you give heed to that lie, and he's able to sow those seeds of doubt in there, don't don't allow him to do that. Why? We, this is why we need to be constantly having affirmation given to us by what? Not telling us how good we are. Oh, you're just, you know, you're a good guy. You're a good girl. You just, you know, just, no. God is good. He's a good God. He's made good promises to you. He's given you a good future, a good hope. He's given you a good word. It's called the gospel. We don't trust in our goodness because we don't have any. We trust in his goodness. And so we're affirmed in the gospel We're affirming what God has done. Not what we have done, but what God has done. This is what Paul is writing to Titus. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God, not those who will believe, he's saying you need to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God will do what? Will be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to all men. So I want you to think about this. So he says, I want you to affirm constantly these things. So he says, Titus, remind them of what they are to be. Remind them of what they once were. Remind them how they are going to be changed and transformed, how that transformation took place. And remind them to be careful to maintain good works. Now, this is where we need to rightly divide the word of truth. So this word, careful, to be careful, is to think or to consider or to take careful thought. Remind them to be careful to think, to consider. What? This faithful saying. To think and to consider what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We need to think carefully 
about these things. We need to meditate on these things. We don't need to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, God has loved Jesus, died on the cross, I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven one day. Yeah, well, let's go live life, you know, and do what we want, and God's got to forgive me. And no, you're not thinking carefully. You're not thinking carefully. Or if you're over here going, you know, I just, I try and I try and I try to be so good, and I try to do everything I can for God, and I'm doing all of these things to try to gain favor for God, but I just, it seems like, you know, I mean, my car broke down last week, and and now it just seems like things keep happening. I guess God's just not pleased with me. I mean, those are two extremes that we need to stay away from, because they're both rooted and grounded in the lie that comes from the pit of hell. We need to think carefully. We need to carefully consider what? These faithful sayings. We need to carefully consider the gospel. My condition in this world, whether I'm rich or poor, how healthy or not healthy I am, listen, that doesn't have anything to do with God's love for me. God loves the sick. God loves the healthy. God loves the rich. God loves the poor. If you're his child, you may be wealthy today or you may be poor today. If you're his child, you may be sick today or you may be well today. But if you're his child, he loves you regardless of what your outward circumstances are. He does. And your outward circumstances don't define or determine the love of God in your life. Now, it can can determine a lot of things or it can speak about a lot of things. It might speak of poor choices I've made. It It might speak of... you know, I've made all the right choices to the best of my ability, but, but this happened to me anyways. So these are the things that we need to stay away from. What we need to do is carefully consider what? We need to carefully consider what God has done for us in Christ. That he saved us by his grace, by his mercy. That he justified us by his grace. That he appeared to us and revealed himself. That he was looking for me when I wasn't looking for him. That he came to me because it was impossible for me to come to him. That he saved me when I absolutely did not deserve to be saved. He saved you when you absolutely did not deserve to be saved. And if God freely has given us his son, then what's he going to withhold from us? The air conditioner broke next door. Or the electric power pole broke that caused the air conditioner not to work just is what it is. God doesn't love the little children. He's going to make them have to have children's church in the heat today. No. Just broke. God is still good. Well, couldn't God, couldn't God have just waited till after children's church? Because, you know, God doesn't want those children to sweat. You know, why? See, this is the way the human brain works. This is fallen man. This is our fallen nature. We can take that to something as simple as that, and, and, and we can go to, why do I have cancer, or why did this, or stop. Stop carefully considering the things we should not be carefully considering. And instead, let's carefully consider who God is. Let's carefully consider the salvation that he has made known to us. And let's carefully consider the promise that he's given to us that in spite of the things that we may have to walk through in this life, the trials and the tribulations of life, the promise that he's given us is he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He'll never stop loving us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will. So these are the things that we are to carefully consider. This is what we're to constantly be affirmed with. Yeah, I know you're going through a tough time right now, but listen, I want you to know that God's love for you is absolutely unconditional and undying. You might be going through a hard time right now, but I want you to know that the love of God is there. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not withdrawn himself from you. He is there with you. He is right now in the deepest and darkest part of the valley you're walking through. He is right now. Even in your darkness, your ever-present help in time of need. You can't see him. I know you can't see him. But I want you to know you have the hope and the assurance and the certainty that he is there. He has not left you. He will lead you through the valley. 
he will. There is higher ground prepared for you. There is a table prepared for you. Even in the presence of your enemies, it's prepared for you already because God has prepared it. This is what we're told to meditate on, to think upon, to be affirmed with. This is the gospel. So good works are the fruit of faith. Remind them to be careful to maintain good works. Good works, listen church, this is important. Good works are the fruit of faith. Good works come from the life and the nature of Christ in us. Ephesians 2.10 speaks of the good works which he prepared for us beforehand. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2.10. They're not your good works, they're his good works. We have no good works to present to God. But in Christ, now, we have the fruit of our faith. James 2.18, James says, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So good works are a result say result. Good works are a result of His grace working in us, not us working for His grace. We, we get it backwards. We think, I've got to work harder to, to earn more grace from God. You can't earn grace. If you can earn it, it's not grace. If, what do you earn? When you go to work and you work all week, what have you earned? You've earned your wages, If you can earn grace, it's not grace, it's wages. Grace can't be earned. So good works are a result of His grace, His grace working in us, not you working for His grace. Because if you can work for it, it's not grace any longer. Remind them to be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. What things? These things that refer to The faithful saying, the things Titus is to constantly affirm. These things are the gospel that we are saved by the finished work of Christ and not ourself. These things are to be constantly affirmed so that we will be careful to maintain a lifestyle of good works. A lifestyle that flows from the grace of God. These things are good and profitable to all men. Because they manifest the love and the life of Christ in the believer. They witness to the world and they bring glory to the Father. Amen.